old country preacher by the name of Vance Havner was known for so many of his quips and quotes along the way. And well, one time he said, you know, there are folks that are as straight as a gun barrel theologically, and they're as empty as one too. And I thought about that through the years, and I thought, you know, I think I've known folks like that. There's nothing wrong with their, their theology. They, they, they check all the boxes. They know all the right answers. Their, their beliefs would be as orthodox as could be. But what he reminded us in that quote is that, is that God is not just interested in our head knowledge. He's not interested in just orthodoxy, but he's also interested in orthopraxy, that, that how we live our life really matters to him. And I know one of the things I struggled with as I uh, kind of came back to Christ and tried to figure this thing out uh, uh, was sometimes uh, in, in some situations I would see people who, who had such incredible knowledge and oftentimes incredible giftedness and sometimes had positions of, of influence and leadership and yet they were just mean and they were sometimes angry people and, and it was like, why? I mean, how does that happen? Now, what, what's, what's missing there? And I think what was missing is the work of God's Spirit, developing and displaying, as we introduced last week, the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those things that God wants to develop and display through every follower of His. And yes, we're all works in progress, but it's what God is desiring to do. It also made me remember how, how Jesus took maybe some of His sharpest criticisms and critiques to the Pharisees because they had all this knowledge. They knew all of this stuff. They had all the right answers, and yet there was something missing in their life. There was something missing in their, their character and in their heart along the way. And that's why we're just diving into this series of developing spiritual character. And just say, God, what do you want to develop in us, that fruit of the Spirit? And how can we cooperate with you in the development of that fruit of the Spirit? Last week, we kind of introduced and looked at the, the, the challenge and the calling of the Becoming a more loving person. Becoming a more loving person. And this week, we want to jump to the second one, joy. And the fact that all of us have, as a follower of Jesus Christ, the choice to rejoice. Here's my premise. Regardless of our circumstances, and I do not for a moment diminish some of the circumstances that some of you have found yourself in or are walking through right now. But regardless of our circumstances, we can choose to be joyful. We can choose to be joyful. And particularly if you are a follower of Jesus Christ. Romans uh, tells us some important things about how, why we can do that. But before we jump to that, let me make this important distinction. Happiness depends upon happenings. Happiness depends upon happenings. There are things that we're happy about in my life. This has happened. I'm excited about this. This has happened. I don't really like this. In all of our lives, there are things that we'll be happy about and things we won't be happy about because happiness depends upon happenings. When we're talking about joy. We're not talking about pasting on some fake smile and says everything's good and I'm happy about everything. No. 
There are things in all of our lives living in a real sin-scarred world that we're not going to be happy about. Happiness depends upon happenings, but joy is an attitude. Joy is a choice. It is a choice that I can make, particularly as a follower of Jesus Christ. Barbara Johnson uh, wrote uh, years ago a, a little story, and it's just always been one of those that, that was a good reminder to me. Uh, let me just give you her words. The day started out rotten. I overslept and was late for work. Everything that happened at the office contributed to my nervous frenzy. By the time I reached the bus stop for my homeward trip, my stomach was one big knot. Had those days? As usual, the bus was late and jammed. I had to stand in the aisle, and as the lurching vehicle pulled me in all directions, my gloom deepened. Then I heard a deep voice from up front boom. Beautiful day, isn't it? Because of the crowd, I could not see the man, but I could hear him as he continued to comment on the spring scenery, calling attention to each approaching landmark. This church, that park, this cemetery, that firehouse. Soon, all the passengers were gazing out the windows. The man's enthusiasm was so contagious, I found myself smiling for the first time that day. We reached my stop. Maneuvering toward the door, I got a look at our guide, a plump figure with a black beard, wearing dark glasses and carrying a thin white cane beautiful day, isn't it? You see, joy is a choice. Joy is an attitude. And I really am convinced as Christians, we can be the most joyful people in the world. We can really be the most joyful people in the world. I mean, sometimes you meet some folks that claim to be followers of Christ and you'd swear they, was, they were baptized in lemon juice or something, right? I mean, it's like, whoa, what's up with that, right? But as a follower of Christ, we're not always happy. There are things in all of our lives we're not happy about, but we can always always, always choose joy. And there are a lot of different reasons for that. Romans 5 gives us three reasons for our joy. I want to look at those, and then I'm going to talk about how we can cooperate with God in developing that fruit of joy in our life. In Romans chapter 5, we see at least three reasons for our joy. The first is this, we have hope. We have a hope that is beyond any hope that the world can have. The first two verses of Romans chapter 5. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Because of what God has done for me in Jesus Christ, I, I have a hope. I, I can have a, a hope. And when the Bible uses the word hope, it's not using it the way we commonly do in our English language. Very often in English, when we say hope, we mean wish. I hope it doesn't rain today. It, it's a wish. But when the Bible uses the word hope, it's talking about a certainty, a, a something that, it, that I am certain about. It's a certainty, even if it is not yet full 
fully realized. This is the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. We have this peace with God. We have this hope of the glory of God, this certainty, even if it is not fully yet manifested and operative and realized completely in our lives. And so as I think about the hope that we have as a grounds to stand on uh, for, our, for our rejoicing, uh, we, we have so much to, 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 to give thanks for along the way. In Jesus Christ, in Christ Jesus, my past is forgiven. My past is forgiven. Think about that. Some of us, our past drags the joy out of us. When we think about those things, and listen, we have things we regret, and, and even forgiveness doesn't necessarily immediately remove all those consequences, but, but to know that regardless of my past, regardless of what I have done, however my rebellion and independence from God has manifested itself, that God's provision through the shed blood of Jesus Christ, his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection has provided peace with God. My sin has been forgiven. My past no longer has to dominate or control my life. My past is forgiven and my future is secure. My future is secure, that I have this this security in Jesus Christ to know that no matter what comes, no matter what comes, if if I'm in that that car accident, accident that I can control and I don't walk away. My future is secure. If disease would ravage my body, my future is secure. If things would would, would blow up or whatever it may be, my future is secure. That I have a forever home. I have a forever place with him. It is a cause for rejoicing regardless of what's going on in my life. And whatever's going on in my life in the present, I am guided and I am empowered. My present is guided and empowered. All of that is inherent in that peace with God. All of that is the certain hope that we have in Jesus Christ. I'm never going to face anything, a challenge or an opportunity, a problem or a possibility that is greater than God. And God will guide me. God will empower me in the midst of that. Because of Jesus Christ, we have hope. We have hope that transcends the happenings of our life. But not only that, but this passage in Romans says God has a purpose. I can rejoice because I know regardless of the happenings in my life, regardless of what's going on in my life, even in the midst of those difficult ones, God has a purpose. Look at verses 3 through 5. Not only that, but we rejoice Think about that. We rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. There's this sequence here that, 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 that begins to unfold. And, and in that sequence, he reminds us, we can rejoice. 
He said, we rejoice in our sufferings. Why? Because we know that God is at work in the midst of them. That doesn't mean we're happy about it. In fact, as the word sufferings here is not just referring to kind of the irritants of life that we all experience, but these sufferings would be something very sharp, very intense, uh, extraordinary sufferings along the way, perhaps even connected to being a follower of Jesus Christ. Even in the midst of that kind of intensity, we can rejoice because we know that God is at work. He's at work in the midst of them. And notice the, this sequence that he kind of unfolds here. Our suffering can pr- produce perseverance and endurance. Perseverance and endurance. The ability to handle pressure without giving up. That, that as God walks with us in the midst of, of suffering, that he is producing something in us, perseverance, endurance, that ability to handle whatever God in his sovereignty allows in our life in this world. And that perseverance and endurance gives us character. It leads to character. Character really in the Bible is about being tested, about the experiences of our life where we are proven reliable. When we tend to use character in our our culture, in our language, we, we tend to think a person of character is a person of high morals or a person of, you know, they don't steal or they're not going to lie to you or those sort of things, a person of character. And that's certainly a part of character. But very often when you read character, and that word is not very often in the Bible in and of itself, but when you come to that word character in the Scripture, it's usually talking about something that has been tested and proven, proven reliable. It would have been a word that would have been used of testing of metals to prove their purity. And so God uses suffering, and he forms in us perseverance and endurance. He forms in us a proven, reliable character along the way. Because of that, we can rejoice, even if we're not happy about it, we can rejoice in the midst of the suffering. And that character leads to the hope. We circle back to hope, that confidence in God's power, that hope in which we now stand, the presence of God's Spirit with us. And so in the midst of all of that, we have this incredible hope. Dr. Jamie Ainton is a cancer survivor and a Christian who researches how people respond to trauma. He wrote an article uh, last year in the Washington Post in which he urged, uh, he urged trauma survivors to make meaning of your experience. And here's some of his words. Most of us operate from what some researchers refer to as a just, J-U-S-T, just worldview. We tend to believe that if we are good, good things will happen. It's difficult then to make meaning when bad things happen to us. I went to the doctor for tests because of shooting pains in my leg. I never dreamed that it was from a mass sitting on a nerve bundle in my pelvis. It was difficult for me to wrap my head around what had happened. Thoughts like, wasn't I a good person, plagued me. A colleague of mine deployed to help with a relief agency after Superstorm Sandy. And she met a man whose roof had been blown away by gale-strength winds. This man surprised the relief team with an optimistic quip. Sometimes you have to lose the roof to see the stars. That's not bad, huh? Sometimes you have to lose the roof to see the stars. There's a man who knows how to find meaning in loss. 
My colleagues and I have interviewed and surveyed disaster survivors about their views of God in the wake of catastrophe. We have found that you can have two people who go through almost identical losses with one believing God saved them while the other believes God is punishing them. Remember, they went through the same disaster. We found that the person who doesn't find positive meaning is likely to struggle a great deal more. I encourage you, he wrote, even in the worst of moments, look for the stars. Look for the stars. Look for the way that God may be working. When he blows the roof off your life, look for the stars. We have a reason to rejoice because we have a hope a hope for our past, our present, and our future. We have this confidence that God has a purpose, that he is working even in the midst of the suffering of our life. But a a third thing that Romans tells us, if we skip ahead a few chapters, it reminds us that God is with us. God is with us. We looked at in a little more in depth at that eighth chapter of Romans several months ago, but it's just such a great reminder in these verses. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword as it is written for your sake we are being killed all the day long we are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered knowing all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us for I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Please hear me on this. Joy is not the absence of suffering. Joy is the presence of God. Joy is, is not about my life goes according to plan. My life just all the things fall into place and all that and happiness is connected to that. Joy is not about the absence of suffering. Joy is more about the presence of God, knowing that nothing, nothing, nothing will ever separate me from the love of God in Christ Jesus. When I begin to understand those truths, I kind of have a platform, if you will. If I am in Jesus Christ, these things are true. I need to come back and remind myself of these truths because they become the platform from which I experience joy. But there are things then I can do based on those beliefs, based on those core truths, to cooperate with God in developing inner joy. And by no means is this an exhaustive list, but I'll I'll give you five things that I help can I, I know can be very helpful to you as you seek to cooperate with God working to develop and display joy in and through your life. The first one is to develop the attitude of gratitude. That when I develop and practice gratitude, it enhances the joy factor in my life. Paul is a great example of that. If you read his letters, very often you'll you'll find uh, that, that that sense of giving thanks. In fact is to the Thessalonians, he said, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Sometimes somebody says, well, how can I know the will of God? I always say, well, start with the Word of God. Are you doing everything that you know is the will of God from the Word of God? And here it couldn't be any clearer. An integral part of the will of God for my life and yours is to give thanks in all circumstances, to develop, to cultivate that attitude of gratitude along the way. And you know, research shows us 
there are tremendous benefits. November 2010, there was a Wall Street Journal article that summarized some of the research this way. Adults who frequently feel grateful have more energy, more optimism, more social connections, and more happiness than those who do not. According to studies conducted over the past decade, they're also less likely to be depressed, envious, greedy, or alcoholics. They earn more money, sleep more soundly, exercise more regularly, and have greater resistance to viral infections. The researchers concluded a lot of these findings are things we learned in kindergarten or our grandmothers told us, but now we have scientific evidence to prove them. The key is not to leave it on the Thanksgiving table. Don't just let gratitude be something that you do on a Thursday in November, but develop that attitude of gratitude to to give thanks throughout your life. And maybe it'll help you to kind of develop some triggers or some reminders along the way to give thanks. I read about one guy, uh, Mr. Otha Anders of Ruston, Louisiana. Spent 45 years bending down and collecting something most of us ignore, pennies. In October of 2015, the 73-year-old Anders, supervisor for in-school suspended children, took to his local bank, are you ready for this, 15 five-gallon jugs, all filled with pennies. He deposited a total of $5,136.14 worth of pennies into his account. The bank coin machine took five hours to count all the pennies that he brought in that day. But this, what's really remarkable about the story is not his thriftiness, but it's his thankfulness. This is what he told reporters. I became convinced that spotting a lost or dropped penny was an additional God-given incentive reminding me to always be thankful. There have been days where I failed to pray, and more often than not, a lost or dropped penny would show up to remind me. What he began to do was to connect the sight of a penny, bending down to get a penny with saying thanks with expressing gratitude along the way. Now, I don't know if it'll be a penny for you, but maybe, maybe it'll help you to develop some rhythms, routines, some triggers, something to remind you to give thanks, something to remind you to cultivate and develop the attitude of gratitude. It is a, a key component in helping to develop joy. Closely aligned with that is cultivate the art of giving. Cultivate the art of givings. Again, we have the scriptural precedent for this. In Acts, in all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. There is something about giving that brings blessing in our life. There's something about, about giving from the heart, as Paul wrote to the Corinthians. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. There is something about being a giving person, about cultivating the art of giving that enhances the joy factor in our life. My guess is you've discovered what I've discovered is stingy people are rarely joyful people. 
Stingy people are rarely, rarely joyful people because they're focused on what they have and how they can keep it. And when I'm talking about the art of giving, it certainly includes our financial resources, material resources, but it's more than that. How do I give my time? How do I, I give of my knowledge? How do I give to invest in somebody else's life? How do I encourage? How do I challenge? How do I help maybe connect somebody with somebody who can help them or whatever it is? So I, I give some of my contacts or whatever. There's a lot of ways to give. But as I cultivate the art of giving, I find that I move from stinginess to joy. I move from just thinking it's all about me to figuring out that when it flows through me, the joy factor gets enhanced in my life. Develop that attitude of gratitude. Cultivate the art of giving and express appreciation to others. You want to nurture the joy factor in your life, express appreciation to others. Again, Paul is such a wonderful example of this as he wrote letter after letter. One example, Philippians 1. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. I, I thank God for you. Every time I think about you, everybody, I remember you. I give thanks for you. There is something powerful about expressing appreciation. And you know, we, we live in a world where we're all so busy. We're all running in so many directions. And sometimes we take not only things, but we take one another for granted, beginning in our own homes sometimes, right? And maybe one of the ways to, to cooperate with God in developing that joy factor is just to say, I'm going to express appreciation to others. The fact is, I know people that say, I just have set a goal that I am going to be very intentional to express appreciation to at least one person a day. And maybe that's a good starting point. Uh, maybe it's a verbal. Maybe it's, it's a handwritten note, whatever it may be. But I'm going, to, I'm going to make sure that I express appreciation to at least one person person a day. And the more specific you can make that appreciation, the better it is. Because think about it. My guess is some of us sometimes, we can go days and maybe even weeks without ever having anybody express appreciation to us. Think about what a difference you can make in somebody else's life if you just, you said thank you. But as part of that, you, you expressed appreciation for, for some quality of their life or something they did or said or the way that they handled this or whatever it might be. But I cultivate joy when I express appreciation to others. Fourthly, get involved in serving others. Get involved in serving others. If you want to cooperate with God in developing joy in your life, get involved in serving others. And this is, this is what Jesus modeled. This is what Jesus taught. He contrasted that with kind of the way the world operates. So they jockey for position. But Jesus said, it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. There is something about giving my life away that, that helps me to begin to discover life along the way. To the Ephesians, Paul wrote, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord 
and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. I became convinced years ago, you can't outgive God. You can't outgive God when you, when you give of resources, when you give of your, uh, yourself, when you give in service along the way, you don't lose. You don't lose because you receive back from the Lord. And one of the things that you receive back from the Lord very often is that that joy, that that, that fruit of joy begins to be enhanced more and more in your life. And you say, well, Jeff, you know, wait a minute here. I mean, I mean, I'm talking about joy and you're talking about gratitude and, and, and serving others and giving and, and expressing appreciation to others and and I mean, what about me here, right? I mean, I mean, it just, it just seems like you're, you're like it's all out there. Exactly, exactly. Because joy comes as we get our focus off ourselves and concentrate on loving and serving others. It's a little bit counterintuitive. Our world tells us get everything for yourself. It's focusing on happiness. But here's what the research shows. It never delivers. It never delivers. Whatever you have, it satisfies for just a short time, and then you need more. And it's almost like a, a drug addiction or something. You know, what satisfied today doesn't satisfy tomorrow. The pursuit of happiness never ends in happiness. But when you, when you pursue joy... Joy by taking the focus off yourself and you focus on the Lord and you focus on others and you give thanks and you express appreciation and you give and you serve. What you discover is that the Lord, the Lord pours into you and through you and he develops and displays the fruit of joy through your life. Let me give you one more, one more suggestion for cooperating with God in the development of this joy, and that is share Christ with others. Share Christ with others. If he is the source of life, if he is the one who can uh, forgive your past and uh, secure your future and empower and guide your present, then as we share him, as we share that life, it does something in and through our life. I love Luke chapter 15, one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. Those three parables that are stacked up. I'm talking about a lost uh, coin, a lost sheep, and a lost son. And, and in one of the themes in that entire chapter, chapter is the theme of joy. Joy. And here's one example of that. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. There's something about being used by God, whether you're planting a seed or watering a seed or whether you get to be there when the seed comes to harvest time, wherever you're at in that journey or that process, to be used by God, to say, God's going to use me. He's going to use me to change the trajectory of somebody's life. He's going to use me to 
move somebody from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light, from an eternity in, in, in separation from God in a very real place called hell into a place that is very real in his presence called heaven. And when I begin to understand that, there is joy. There is joy in seeing lives transform in that way. For whoever would save his life, Jesus taught, will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. That when I lose my life in serving Christ and serving others, when I lose my life in the pursuit and the the proclamation, the spreading of the kingdom of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's then that I discover life. And in the discovery of that, I experience his love. I experience his joy welling up within me. Here's the bottom line for this message. I hope it's something that might, might encourage and maybe even challenge you today. Very simple statement, but I think a powerful one. Joy is not something we can permanently lose because joy is something we can always choose. Joy is not something you and I can permanently lose as a follower of Jesus Christ because in Jesus Christ, we always have the capacity. We always, always, always have the capacity to choose joy. It's not something I can permanently lose because joy is something we can always, always choose. Don't mishear what I'm saying. Does life sometimes knock the wind out of you? Absolutely. Does sometimes your roof get blown off and you get disoriented and discouraged? Absolutely. But what I'm saying to you is that's not the final word. Even if you feel like you've lost that joy for a moment, if you're in Jesus Christ, it's not something you can permanently lose because he's at work within you and it is something that by his enabling grace, you can always, always choose again. And I want to kind of just drive that home with a, with a story. It's a story actually from Lee Strobel. Uh, Lee uh, uh, was, uh, many of you perhaps know his story. Actually, it's just uh, been a movie. It was just out. Some of you I know have seen that uh, in, in theaters about how he moved from becoming an atheist uh, to a follower of Jesus Christ and uh, Uh, kind of as a hardened reporter for the Chicago Tribune and how God just used a series of events to to bring him uh, to a saving faith in Jesus Christ. He's written a number of books, The Case for Christianity, and one that we're going to read a little bit from, The Case for Christmas. He talks about a family, a family that he saw that just created that sense of they have something that I don't have. And I want to share this story with you because I think this family embodies everything that I've been trying to share with you over the past few moments about the fact that joy is not something we can permanently lose because joy is something we can always choose. Let me just read some of this to you. While working as a journalist for the Chicago Tribune, Lee Strobel was assigned to report on the struggles of an impoverished inner-city family during the weeks leading up to Christmas. He was a devout atheist at the time. Strobel was mildly surprised by the family's attitude in spite of their circumstances. The Delgados, 
60-year-old Perfecta and her granddaughters, Lydia and Jenny, had been burned out of their roach-infested tenement and were now living in a tiny two-bedroom apartment on the west side. As I walked in, I couldn't believe how empty it was. There was no furniture, no rugs, nothing on the walls, only a small kitchen table and one handful of rice. That's it. They were virtually devoid of possessions. In fact, 11-year-old Lydia and 13-year-old Jenny owned only one short-sleeved dress each, plus one thin gray sweater between them. When they walked the half mile to school through the biting cold, this is Chicago, remember, Lydia would wear the sweater for part of the distance and then hand it to her shivering sister who would wear it the rest of the way. But despite their poverty and the painful arthritis that kept Perfecta from working, she still talked confidently about her faith in Jesus. She was convinced that he had not abandoned them. I never sensed despair or self-pity in her home. Instead, there was a gentle feeling of hope and peace. Strobel completed his article, then moved on to more high-profile assignments. But when Christmas Eve arrived, he found his thoughts drifting back to the Delgados and their unflinching belief in God's providence. In his words, I continued to wrestle with the irony of the situation. Here was a family that had nothing but faith and yet seemed happy. While I had everything I needed materially but lacked faith, and inside I felt as empty and barren as their apartment. In the middle of a slow news day, Strobel decided to pay a visit to the Delgados. When he arrived, he was amazed at what he saw. Readers of his article had responded to the family's need in overwhelming fashion, filling the small apartment with donations. Once inside, Strobel encountered new furniture, appliances, and rugs, a large Christmas tree and stacks of wrapped presents, bags of food, and a large selection of warm winter clothing. Readers had even donated a generous amount of cash. But it wasn't the gifts that shocked Lee Strobel, an atheist in the middle of Christmas generosity. It was the family's response to those gifts, in his words. As, I, as surprised as I was by this outpouring, I was even more astonished by what my visit was interrupting. Perfecta and her granddaughters were getting ready to give away much of their newfound wealth. When I asked Perfecta why, she replied in halting English, Our neighbors are still in need. We cannot have plenty while they have nothing. This is what Jesus would want us to do. That blew me away. If I had been in their position at that time in my life, I would have been hoarding everything. I asked Perfecta what she thought about the generosity of the people who had sent all these goodies, and again, her response amazed me. This is wonderful. This is very good, she said, gesturing toward the largest. We did nothing to deserve this. It's a gift from God. But, she added, it is not his greatest gift. No, we celebrate that tomorrow. That is Jesus. To her, this child in the manger was the undeserved gift that meant everything, more than material possessions, more than comfort, more than security. And at that moment, something inside of me wanted desperately to know this Jesus because, in a sense, I saw him in Perfecta and her granddaughters. They had peace despite poverty, while I had anxiety despite plenty. They knew the joy of generosity, while I only knew the loneliness of ambition. They looked heavenward for hope, while I only looked out for myself. They experienced the wonder of the spiritual, while I was shackled to the shallowness of the material. And something made me long for what they had. 
or more accurately, for the one they knew. Joy is not something you can permanently lose because joy is something you can always, always choose. Would you bow your heads with me as we pray? Oh, Father. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your love. Thank you, Father, for the capacity for joy that you have, have given us because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. And, Father, I just I pray today knowing that there are many in this room that, that the circumstances of their life are challenging. The happenings around them don't lead to happiness. And, Father, I know that perhaps there are some that even walked in this morning discouraged and disoriented. But, Father, I just pray today, I pray today that you would remind them of who you are. You would remind them of what you have done. You would remind them of the provision of your grace. You would remind them that that joy is not something that they can permanently lose because if they are in you, it is something they can always choose. And, Father, would you help us, would you help us to choose joy today? Would you help us to choose joy? Lord, I pray, knowing that there are perhaps some in this room who don't have that platform to build on, and they're like Lee Strobel. They know that there's something more. There's someone more, and that's Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that today would be the day that they would come to the, the recognition of their need. They would come and turn and repent from sin from self and turn in faith and trust in Christ and Christ alone. And Father, out of that platform, they would begin to allow you and cooperate with you as you develop the fruit of joy. Lord, I, I pray for followers of yours in this room right now. Lord, help us to be known as people of love, people of joy. I pray, Father, that you'd help us to do our part to cooperate with you in developing and displaying joy through our life. As you just continue now to sit before the Lord, we're going to take just a moment more.